Hey y'all, I'm Nick Baggio, and you're listening to Barely On Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. If you haven't noticed, we're in the midst of the NHL offseason. The Bruins have been making some noise. Here to make sense of it is our regular panel of Jeff, Anthony, and Tim. Tell you what, though, we need some help. That is why the amazing... Kirk Ludicky is here. And you know what, guys? We're going to jump uh, right into it. First topic. Kirk, we're all Tory Krug fans here. I know you're a huge supporter of the Krug faith as well. However, a buddy of mine is not, and I really want to convert him to the faith of Tory Krug. Uh, what do I need to tell my friend to let him know how talented and how amazing Tory Krug is? Now, on Tori Krug, throw out the talent for a second. And the guy is just everything any hockey, self-respecting hockey fan would want on their team. Uh, he has a heart of a lion. He may be short in stature, uh, but this is a guy who is more than the sum of his parts because he outworks everyone. And he, he brings such an intelligence, a, a natural hockey IQ, and an, and an instinctive flow for the game, and a tireless work ethic. Uh, he is constantly in the weight room, pound for pound. When you consider, you know how relatively small he is compared to the average NHLer, he is one strong son of a gun, uh, and that doesn't just happen naturally. That's because he's in there and he works at it, and uh, he has always been fueled by the doubters and the critics. And so, I think Krug is like game on. Um, you know, bring it if you want to criticize him because he's short and don't think he's worth it. He'll use that as as fuel to motivate him. And I think Dom Tiano on on our podcast at the the Three Amigos the other night had a very good point, and that is, last two years Krug has taken team friendly deals to help the Bruins through a cap crunch. So uh, you're in La La Land, you're on planet Pluto. If you're sitting there and you think that he then owed the Bruins anything on this negotiation and he should have taken, you know, uh, taken less than what the market will bear. If you look at Sammy Vatanen, if you look at Jared Spurgeon, if you look at some of these similar defensemen, Krug is right in there. And I'll tell you what, he's a heck of a lot better than Jared Spurgeon as far as I'm concerned uh, on both sides of the puck. So to me, it's a no brainer. Uh, five two five million a year for four years, Tory Krug. I'm j- I just wish it was seven years to be honest with you. Um, but uh, gr- great signing, and he's the least of Boston's worries, I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. the I know when the, the signing happened, he was on WEEI shortly after it happened, and he uh, called out Dale Arnold for giving him a hard time on the bad goal to, uh, bad goal totals. So, um, yeah, the guy definitely, uh, he, he's, he's not afraid to, to, to take on any challenge. So I'm, I'm a huge fan, and if you disagree with us, well, again, you are uh, – you're wrong. We're an echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. we are. We, that's <laughs> yeah. I, Here's the thing about that is even as a big Tory Krug fan, I didn't even realize that even as a, as a fan, I, I have a habit of underselling him. Like I didn't realize till uh, someone pointed out to me fairly recently that how much harder his usage actually got towards the end of the season mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, more difficult zone starts, um, more time, more time on ice. So you can just see over the course of even within within season how. The trust of him has changed, and it's exciting to watch where it goes yeah. from here. I think. Guys, it's a it's a size bias is what it comes yeah. down to. I mean, if he were six six one six two, he'd be he'd be an NHL All Star, and everyone mm-hmm. would be talking about him. 
And because he's not, and because he was a free agent, he's got two things working for him or working against him. One, he's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I, I would say he's closer to 5'8", guys. I've, I've been around him. Mm. Trust me, he's he, he's <laughs> closer to five eight than he is five nine. And again, I don't, I don't, I don't mean like for him to be as effective as he is at that size in the position he plays. I mean, again, that speaks wonders. But the reason he can do it is because he's so freaking strong for his size, uh, and he's so well conditioned, and he's so smart. And yes, he physically can't match up against the monster like a Ryan Getzlaff. He can't do it. Um, but he'll out, he'll outsmart him. He'll outwork him. Uh, he'll have the stick in the right position or he'll be in the right spot uh, to to move him, direct him away from the net. And, you know, sometimes it won't work. Sometimes, you know, a big, strong forward will just run him over. And that's why you have to have the right partner with a Tory mm-hmm. crew. The other thing that's working against him is he doesn't have a draft pedigree. He was undrafted. So people naturally discriminate. When you look at all of these sexy top prospects, um, what you normally don't see are, are guys at the tops of those lists that are undrafted free agents. They're usually first-round picks and high picks, and that's it's what we call that recency bias of of the draft. Yep. Whereby, you know, just you're your first, you're a top five pick, and and ergo you move right to the top of the prospect rankings and and depth charts and all that. And 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 in many cases it's warranted, but a guy like Krug is never going to get respect. Because he was a he was an undrafted free agent, and even if the Bruins had drafted him in the seventh round of 2011, as as they were trying to do, that wouldn't have helped him anyway, you know, because he would have been a seventh round pick. So he's had that stuff working against him, but uh, he's kind of like the Matt Dillon character in uh, Singles. If you ever saw that uh, um, uh, Cliff Poncier when he said, "That's okay, negativity just makes me stronger." Um, and so, if you haven't seen Singles, you should see that movie. It's uh, awesome. What a reference. that's one thing about me you'll always get the pop culture cool well i think that settles it um my friend brian who does not like tory krug you'll be listening to this and you'll be texting me uh probably wednesday morning saying uh you're now a fan so i think that settles that just tell him (laughs) the hero chart man yeah and if he looks at that hero chart and there's a hero chart that compares krug to sami vatanen Mm mm-hmm and all, all he's got to yeah. do is, is Google Tory Krug hero chart, and that and, and if he hits on the images, that Krug versus Vatnin will pop right up. And if you, unless you are blind or you are Van <laughs> Winkle, and you literally just woke up after a long nap, uh, if you look at the hero chart and you're still thinking that that, that Krug isn't worth the 5.25 mil, I I got nothing for you. And 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 to those people, I don't even. I don't even waste my time. Like I don't even try to convince them, because because again, there's there's always an element of folks that no matter what you do and what evidence you show them, they have an agenda. Their agenda is to not like or to 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 not you know dislike the person that you're trying to uh, convince them on. And if they're not willing to be convinced and open their eyes, then I just I just quit. I don't I don't bother with it. So I'm not sure who you're you know about your friend. If he ha- if he comes approaches it with an open mind, he might have a different. Uh, perspective and might be willing to uh, um, give Krug more of a chance. We'll see. He's he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I pick on him um, because I can. But yeah, I guess uh, moving on. I believe uh, we're going to start things off with Jeff. Um, but we're moving on to the draft, which I know at this point seems like it was uh, uh, five years ago because so much stuff has already happened since then. Um, but, uh, Jeff, I don't want to steal your thunder, so w- what you got in your mind? Okay, well, um, um, we're not going to 
I don't think we're going to talk too much about uh, about, about uh, Charlie McAvoy. It's pretty. Uh, it was a pretty straightforward pick. Pick. You've covered that a lot elsewhere. What interests me, Kirk, is um, I remember on Twitter your initial reaction, like right your snap reaction to the um, Trent Frederick pick, uh, was um, a little scary to us. Um, yeah. Something to the effect of Trent Frederick. Wow. Wow. And um, but you came around. It seemed to be warmed up pretty quickly. So just. Um, to just sort of take apart um, uh, why and where you're thinking about it now. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, he wouldn't have been my pick, and I still say that today. Wouldn't have, would not have been my pick at 29. Um, one of the reasons, or several of the reasons for my warming up to it was David Quinn and Don Granado. Um, for those who don't know instinctively who David Quinn and Don Granado are, we're talking a head coach of Boston University and assistant coach of the University of Wisconsin. Previously, national team coach, uh, that, and uh, Granado coached Frederick in 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 Michigan, uh, you know prior pr- you know prior to to this year and all that. Um, when hockey guys start telling you that there's more to a kid, uh, oh, I'll throw another name out there, Brennan Shanahan, um, because I watched Brennan Shanahan go up to Frederick and hug him and spend a good solid several minutes just talking with him. And so the hockey guy in Ludicky is going, okay, uh, this guy has respect. Um, and, and for someone like Shanahan to do that now, maybe it's, you know, even if he's a family friend, if the kid's a dirtbag, Shanahan's not gonna, not gonna do what he did. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, Quinn, uh, just went on and on about what a tremendous player he was, uh, what a high end, um, versatile talent and leader and character guy and athlete. Athlete was the thing that he said first, that he's just a pure athlete and that he really believes that the best is yet to come from Frederick, that he's, he's not even close to being fully developed. Um, so that's what, that's what caused me to kind of rethink it. I'm like, well, who am I? I mean, yeah, I, I scouted Frederick at the under 18s. I saw him live. Not all that impressed. He was third line center, but some of that could be attributed to, you know, what he had to work with because very clearly the USA in Grand Forks had two very good top lines and their bottom lines were kind of eh. Um, and Frederick just seemed like a straight ahead, straight line, meat and potatoes, north, south, no real creativity. So even the goals he scored and he scored four of them. Uh, three came in one game against Latvia. They were all just bang, bang, cleaning up the garbage, just outside the paint, driving the net, stick on the ice, kind of, you know, nothing, nothing exciting, nothing off the rush, nothing, uh, showing an abundance of creativity. And so my natural reaction on, on Friday night when they took him 29th was why? Uh, and hence my reaction of wow, because I, he wasn't any, like in our red line rankings, he was 112. Ooh. So he was the furthest. But that's just us. I mean, if you look at other, and I've, and I've, I've mentioned draft buzz hockey and Anthony Morrow. Um, this is another uh, scouting uh, product out there, you know, draft product. And um, Morrow and his team, based on analytics and, and film study and, and firsthand knowledge of Frederick, I suppose, had him ranked 34. So Redline's got him 112, draft buzz has got him 34. Flip a coin, split the difference. Uh, you know, someone, someone, someone might be right, someone might be wrong, um, but I don't think we had to universally pan the pick. Uh, so that those are my thoughts, and then I'm gonna then I'm gonna take it in a different direction. But I, I was interested in letting you guys kind of opine and maybe you know comment on 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 
my thoughts on Frederick and, and maybe ask any additional questions. And then I'm going to hit you with what I think uh, could be the situation because what I've heard the narrative shift from people were banging on Frederick as a, as a horrible choice to, well, Frederick, the player's not so bad, but the draft strategy is, is flawed. And so I was going to, I was going to approach that uh, next, but wanted to give you guys an opportunity to, to, you know, you know, for us to have a discussion on it based on your own observations and your own research and study on the player. Well, I, I, I didn't hate the pick when it happened. Now, I will fully admit I don't dive into the draft by day. I um, am a benefits consultant, so my expertise is somewhere else. But I looked at his stats, solid stuff. Um, I thought maybe a lot of people hated the pick just because he wasn't flashy. But sometimes a simple game is a good game, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a horrible pick. I, I Preferably, yeah, maybe someone a bit with more pizzazz at the 29th pick. But I could, when I saw it happen, I wasn't, I wasn't outraged, and I wasn't really all that upset. I'm like, okay, solid. See, Vanilla, but, sort of, but solid. That's just what a lot of us were thinking here. I think I know I'm, I'm speaking for myself and for Anthony on this one. Several of us wanted to bring Cat with that picture, with that, with that pick. And we're pretty disappointed it wasn't to bring Cat. And so I guess the, yeah, that was a big part of the initial reaction because we didn't know, know anything about, about, Trent about Trent Frederick. He was so far off most rankings. Um, I mean, that does worry me about long-term how he's going to be judged because it's going to be unfair, sort of like how a lot of people have talked about last year's first-round picks. Um, and I know that's a personal pet peeve of yours, Kurt. So. Yeah. Well, what I would offer you on the Debrinket thing is where did Debrinket go? What number did he go? He's yeah. later into the second than I'd expected, actually, wasn't he? Yeah, he went 10 <laughs> picks later. So, I mean, really, you know, my, my counter to that is, okay, if Brink, Debrinket was so awesome, why wasn't he pick 30? Why wasn't he 31, 32? Oh, because so he's like three feet tall, right? <laughs> but, but, again, it gets back to, you, you know, I don't think, like, the, the issue with Barzell and Connor was after the Bruins passed on him, they were right, bang, 15, uh, 16, 17, right after Boston passed on him. And I think that's why you get that. You get that angst. It's because it just looked, the optics look bad. The Bruins have three straight picks in 15. They take Zaboral, they take DeBrus, they take Sinitian, and then, and, and they pass on Barzell and Connor, and then the Islanders trade up, boom, jump in, grab Barzell, and then the Winnipeg, you know, literally Cheval Day off sprinted to the podium, um, as if he thought that, you know, he was in some kind of bizarro universe and that the world was going <laughs> to end before he could make the pick. And he takes Connor. That's, you know, so here's what I would offer you on the, on my rethinking. So what I kept hearing about Frederick, uh, and this came from not only Frederick, who's you know is from St. Louis, and his hockey idol is David Backus, uh, but Keith Gretzky, Don Sweeney, both used the David Backus comparison, uh, that, he's, that he's big, heavy, tough to play against. They, they recognized that they needed to get stronger and bigger up the middle. And when you look at the players that are were available around 29, there's no center that fit that that archetype at 29. So it's fair to say, well, they reached then and they plugged a need, you know, into 29 and and, and took a player that probably they didn't have to. They could have gone with with a more skilled player. But here's where here's where I will offer you a commentary on Boston's draft draft strategy now if if you believe that the boston bruins have a very good chance of 
signing Jimmy Vesey on August 15th. Mm. And all of a sudden, your first round haul goes from Charlie McAvoy and Trent Frederick to Charlie McAvoy, Trent Frederick, and Jimmy Vesey. Now you can begin to understand if the Bruins are thinking, hey, look, if we take, if you take McAvoy and you take Debrinket and you take, and you end up with Vesey, in Debrinket and Vesey, you've got two skill forward, you know, scoring forward types. If you have McAvoy, Frederick, and Vesey, you have three completely different players that round out your team. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not saying it's the right answer, but for people who are saying it makes no sense in the draft strategy to take Frederick, I take issue with that because it's entirely possible that the Bruins have a better feeling for what VZ might do, and they're willing to, to take that risk to say, hey, you know what? We don't have a Frederick. We, you know, our three centermen uh, right now on our top three lines are all six foot or smaller. We don't have a 6'2", 6'3", guy that's a big slab of beef and is going to be tougher. It's going to clog up the middle and be tougher to play against. And they were willing to take that risk. I'm not saying they're going to end up with VZ. I'm just saying if they think that they've got a better-than-average shot at VZ, their first round then becomes McAvoy, Frederick, and VZ. That's a heck of a first round. And I can see why they would pass on a Debrinket if they think VZ's coming in. Because the other challenge these teams have is they got to figure out where these guys are going to play. Mm-hmm. And if you're just stockpiling talent, I mean, that's great. But then you end up in that situation where we're with Coco and guys, you know, pe- you know, fans are clamoring for this talented guy to get on, but he might not be either ready or he might not be a great fit for the system or he might not just work out. And then you got to cut him loose. So that's kind of my feeling there. And what I asked, what I asked Greg Ezel uh, on Days of Yore was, you know, what's the difference? If, if, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Trent Frederick? Let's say at the absolute low end, he becomes kind of like a Chris Kelly, you know, or a Greg Campbell, all right? A bigger Greg Campbell, a guy that's not going to get maybe ragdolled in as many fights that he was in. Uh, <laughs> Poor guy. Poor yeah. Campbell. Yeah, but, you know, he was at least willing, yeah. right? But, right? But let's just say at the low end, he's Trent Frederick plays and he's Greg Campbell. Would you rather have that? At your 29th pick, or would you rather feel great about yourself on draft night and for the first couple of years because you took the Brinkett, but then for whatever reason, that high risk, that high reward doesn't come to fruition. He ends up being that medium to high risk, and he doesn't pan out for you, and he never plays. Well, you felt good on draft night. Yay. But two years later, three years later, he just doesn't He just doesn't have what it takes. And again, it's it's risky, and in, in five years from now, we could all be looking back and going, how the hell did the Bruins pass on the Brinkett? But the fact of the matter is we just don't know, and so I don't have a problem. I've, I've warmed to the Frederick pick, but I'm still on July 3rd, 2016. I'm still saying he would not have been my guy there. Uh, I would have taken Will Bitten. I would have taken the Brinkett. I would have taken LaBerge um, ahead of him. I would have taken Boris Kachuk, uh, who unfortunately was picked by Tampa Bay with the second of the Brent Connolly selections that one i think is going to hurt that one i think we're going to be looking at in about four years now from now going dang you sure would have looked good in black and gold but we'll see what happens that's interesting one because i assume the bruins have seen a lot of kachuk because playing with um uh so i i I, so i had you know i mean i i i I, i'm not going to come out and say they came out and told me but just my contacts within the bruins organization i there they have certain tells and uh, I can kind of, 
I can I can usually tell when they really like a guy because they'll kind of be quiet. They don't like to talk about <laughs> the guys they really like. Ah. And when I asked them about Kachuk Boy, um, they 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 praised him, you know, to the heavens. And that was my red flag of mm, I don't think they I don't think they because I was thinking at 29 Kachuk would be would be a guy there. I was actually a little surprised he lasted all the way to 44. I thought Wade Allison. Allison is a guy I probably would have taken at 29 when you come down to it. Um, if you ask me to pin a guy at 29, for me it was Wade Allison because I just think he's a big riser and he's that big slab of beef, but he's got skill. But he's you know he's a good he's a good kid. You know, interviews really well. Comes off like he's got a real good solid head on his shoulders. He's raw, um, but Wade Allison probably, if you had to pin me down, it would be between Bitten, Allison, um, DeBrinket. Those would have been, and Kachuk would have been my guys at 29. You know, in in, in that rank order. Um, but they went with Frederick. So what Ludicky thinks doesn't matter, and uh, I'm okay with it. I, I, I'm I'm big enough to where I can take a step back and I'm not just gonna be you know have the blinders on and insist that well at red line we had him 112 so this was a bad pick I'm allowing for the fact that this might be brilliant and it might work out for the Bruins. Okay, and last follow up there I think um, I know I've seen you mention that you know and I think this is a pretty re- reasonable consensus of the Lindgren and um, uh, and uh, Frederick picks were reversed. Yeah, nobody would have an issue. Um, some of them would always have an issue, but yeah, it yeah. wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as as freaked out because I wouldn't have said Lindgren, wow. I probably would have had wow exclamation and great pick. <laughs> I would have had, I would have put that tweet yeah. about you know I can't overstate how much I love this player, love you know, um, and and really when Charles Jacob Jacob said and I've said this multiple times, uh, people who've been hearing me on the podcast circuit will have heard this before. Um, when, when I heard Charles Jacobs say from the U S national team, I thought he was announcing Lindgren. So I was a little stunned when, you know, when he said Trent Frederick, but to get Frederick at 29 and then to get Lindgren 20 spots later, I honestly didn't see that. I thought Lindgren was a good bet to come off inside the top 40 and, uh, that he was there at 49. I thought was very good. Uh, would have been nice to see Allison. Um, but when you get down to it, Lindgren is a left shooting defenseman. He's not huge, but he, he just plays such a polished and refined game, does everything well. And then the character and the toughness, you know, he's he's uh, he's got a real plays with a real edge and bite. He's exactly the kind of guy. You know, he's kind of he's similar to a Jeremy Lozon uh, in terms of he, he just does everything really well. He doesn't have this huge, you know, he doesn't have these huge physical attributes. But he's really smart and really driven. And when it comes to when you look at what does what is the position in words? Defense man, uh, Lozon and and uh, Lindgren are very good at the defense part of the man, but they also bring some offensive upside. So I've got all day for that pick, and I thought I thought it was very good. And I I honestly think Lindgren will play for the Bruins for for a decade or longer. He has that potential. Wow. Just, he's not going to be. He's not going to be this superstar. He's probably going to be a second-pairing guy like a Dennis Seidenberg who's a rock. He's going to play 23, 24 minutes uh, at his peak, and he's going to shut guys down, but he'll chip in on offense, and he'll probably be in the media a lot because he'll be one of those stand-up guys that's always sitting there in the good times and the bad, and he'll face the music when the reporters come in um, because he's just that kind of leader. He's that that follow me, uh, get on my back, I'll, I'll take you as far as my talent will go, and 
What, what impressed me about Lindgren at the under-18s was the offensive element. He didn't get enough credit for the offensive potential that he has, but he really showed it. He scored seven points in eight games for the U.S. team, and uh, that's not easy to do. And remember, he's doing it against the best uh, talent in the world among his peer group. Now, that's not to say he's going to turn into a point-per-game player, uh, but it does indicate that when the when the chips were down and the, and and you were in a high high level tournament, he came to play and he was not only effective defensively but he was very very productive. Wow! So, I, I, yeah, I, I, your enthusiasm just signs through just a little bit on that pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's one of my guys. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, like I said, yeah. you know, when you, and that's that's the thing I would offer you on Frederick, and this is the thing that fans don't see. And they don't, uh, again, I'm not trying to be condescending. They don't understand. They don't get it. These scouts go out over a season and they see so many games. Um, you know, typical area scouts are seeing 100, you know, 120, 100, you know, 50 games. Chief scouts are seeing more than 200 games easy. Uh, they get passionate about certain players. And when it comes time to the draft, they want nothing more than their guy that they're passionate about to be drafted by their team. They don't want to see another team end up with the guy they're passionate about. And so, you know, when you when you invest the way these individuals do on these teams, it's understandable. So, so I will offer you someone on the Bruins, maybe several guys, were passionate about Trent Frederick. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken him at 29. And it's the same thing with Ryan Lindgren. I can relate. You know, they're very passionate about him. Because they did their homework, and when they talked to all the USA guys, and they asked, you know, who are the unquestioned guys you would you would do anything for and follow anywhere? To a man, the Team USA guys all told them, you know, Lindgren was usually the first name out of their mouth. Uh, there's value in that. I know there are fan, there are people out there that will say all oh, leadership's overblown, and I, honestly, if you're someone that feels that way, I'm gonna question you, and I'm gonna say, have you ever played hockey at any kind of a high level? I'm guessing you haven't, um, or you've not been a part of it. You know, I'm an army guy. Uh, you know, team team and leadership is very important in our line of work. And I would offer, it's important in hockey too. It may not be worth, you know, a David Backus six million a year for five years, and and, and okay, I I will allow that some people just aren't going to get on board with that, and that's okay. Um, but to just dismiss leadership like it's some you know, relatively unnecessary thing that you can just get from anywhere. Uh, I would, I would, I would point to the 2015-16 Boston Bruins and tell you that is not the case. Yeah, uh, and teams I, get passengers and they don't do and they don't do well when you don't have strong leaders in that room. I thought the Bruins uh, su suffered down the stretch because of leadership. I was on record saying that. Um, I guess our, our last podcast for the regular season. So no, I, I I'm with you there. Um, yeah. Actually, did you get did you get to see uh, Cam Clark play? He's uh, I guess right around your area in uh, in Texas. Why? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> more than anyone this year. I may have even seen some of the Bruins guys in the building when I was there too, but oh. you know, I'll never I'll never tell. But yeah, no, there were a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of yeah. NHL interest in Cam Clark. The Bruins weren't the only team, so I I. I really like that selection. When you're talking about a fifth round guy, you want to. You know, when fans say, "Hey, we want the swing for the fences, go for the upside," you know, Clark might not ever make it. He might not ever pan out. I mean, if he was, if he was a high end elite talent, he would have. He wouldn't have lasted to the fifth round. 
he would have been a top 30 selection. But he brings the kind of hockey IQ, vision, uh, puck skills, um, power play. I mean, he's, he's extremely effective in, in, when he has that time and space on the power play. Now, having said all that, he played in a lower league, lower level of competition. Uh, he's tall and skinny. Uh, weight has not, not uh, you know, packed onto his mass uh, or his frame uh, in a, in a timely fashion. I, I hear he's up to a whopping 183 now, which is good, uh, but he's six, three. I mean, he's got to get, he- he's got to get heavier still. Uh, but this is just a player I had a lot of time for. It was the NAHL uh, defenseman of the year, 50 points. And I think 59 games, uh, just someone who was always involved and always stood out. And what I really liked about him was his patience. Uh, he would hold the puck knowing he was going to get blown up and then make that play. Uh, he wouldn't force pucks into bad situations um, kind of reminded me a little bit of a Danton Heinen on the back end in that regard. Just really smart and creative, and uh, no real, no real panic in him. You know, just kind of seemed to have that inner microprocessor that told him how exactly how much time he had uh, to hold the puck. You know, for the max possible time before dishing it off so that that play could actually be executed. And uh, that's impressive. And you can't coach it, uh, no matter how hard you try. Players either have that ability or they don't and so i think that's why there were multiple teams on him and and good for the bruins for stepping up and grabbing him i think value wise they probably saw him around later uh but that passion probably injected itself there and 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 they said hey if we want him we're gonna have to probably take him a little earlier and in round five otherwise he won't be there and i would offer to you based on my discussions had they waited cam clark would be another Mm -hmm. team's prospect so good on him and he's headed to ferris state which uh I, yeah, good program. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, totally off topic. Well, this is barely on topic, so I can say this. They have my favorite collegiate hockey jersey. Totally. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Ferris State. I just love their colors. Um, okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a fan uh, on that alone. Uh, I guess you mentioned Bacchus earlier, so we'll uh-huh. now move on to, uh, well, I guess, what the Bruins are doing in the off season. Um, me personally, I, I am totally confused. I have no clue what's going on. Um, do you have any? Does anyone have any insight? Well, yeah. I mean, they lost Louis Erickson, so you've just you've just had a major a major offensive piece leave. Uh, I think that I think it's somewhat myopic to just focus on the defense and say, I mean, I mean, I think there's certainly something to be said that defense needs to be the priority. Um, but I think to just assume that because the Bruins jumped on Bacchus and signed him and they're not making defense a priority, I think that's a bad assumption. Uh, I think I, from what I've heard, there's a lot of talk going on behind the scenes. Sweeney is trying to do something more than just play on the margins. Now I'm going to stick with this that I, I believe they're looking for a bridge the gap kind of defenseman, not necessarily a high end guy that's going to be the heir apparent to, to Zidano, because they're hoping and they believe that they might have some of these defensemen that they've drafted in recent years that could possibly do that. Um, it's too early to tell, but they've got a lot of young talent coming up. The problem is all of their young D talent, you know, with the exception of maybe Brandon Carlo and and uh, um. Rob O'Gara, perhaps, they're still a couple of years away. And, and even if those guys make the team next year, let's be honest, I mean, they're not going to be 
prime minute eater, you know, guys that play in all situations, they'll probably be somewhat sheltered and they won't play a big, you know, big role until they've had a couple of years under their belt and time to mature and get experience. So I believe Sweeney is maybe, you know, looking for that bridge the gap defenseman and you're looking at a Kevin Shattenkirk, possibly, you know, they were where there's smoke, there's fire. The Bruins had a deal, thought they had a deal in place to get him back in February. It fell through. Uh, I know they were trying at the draft to get him. Cam Fowler, maybe they look at, um, you know, maybe look at some of the, the free agents. But I, I don't think they've given up the ship. It's just, as Don Sweeney said, it's harder to get a defenseman when the whole league wants guys like that. And so uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to pay exorbitant prices uh, out of the gate if you can maybe work something and, and see what falls into place. I don't have a problem with it now. I will if we get to September and we're still sitting here with the status quo and we still have McQuaid and Miller both on the roster and we are essentially looking at the same exact D that we had last year. Then then I'll have a problem with it. But right now on the 3rd of July, I'm in wait-and-see mode and I can see why they jumped on Bacchus because they had to they had to address the loss of Louis Erickson and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised that there was a, maybe a little dig at, at St. Louis getting back is because of, you know, kind of some things that maybe helped happen behind the scenes that were disappointing, to say the least, in terms of how uh, the Bruins were cost an opportunity to move Erickson for something that would help their team. So that's my theory. Uh, there, again, I don't have anything hard behind that. I'm just it's all kind of curious to me that. Um, they ended up with Bacchus, and that was a guy that I know the Blues were trying to re-sign. But like Jerome Aginla several years ago, the Blues were just in too much of a cap crunch that they just couldn't do it. They wanted to bring him back, but it was one of those things where they just didn't have the salary flexibility to do it, and the Bruins pounced. So with the Bacchus signing, do you see, or what not do you see, do you... Uh... What do you think that entails for David Krejci, Brian Spooner, or even Noel Achari coming into next season? Well, I mean, I think they've talked about that whether whether he's playing third line center, whether he's playing up on the wing. You know, they're going to kind of play it by ear. Um, that's what's interesting to me. Some of the some of the arguments I'm seeing out there about the Bacchus contract are a little disingenuous. Uh, what I typically see are oh, you don't pay a third-line center that. Well, guys, I, <laughs> were people not paying attention to the Sweeney and Bacchus uh, conference calls when they both specifically talked about that he's probably not going to spend the entire season at center and that he's going to move around and that versatility and the ability to play wing um, was one of the things that appealed to the Bruins. About, I, I don't get this. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand how you can sit there with a straight face and say, well, you don't pay a third-line center that amount of money when the Bruins and Bacchus both came right out and said that they they view him as a hybrid guy who's going to shift around and be a matchup play. And there's value in that. And that's where, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for Louis Erickson. I thought he was criminally underrated. And I'm happy for him that he got what he got. But let's be honest here. The the numbers between Erickson or, and Bacchus are similar. And... But Bacchus has a little more value because he can play center and Erickson can't. He's a big, heavy, in-your-face leader type, and Erickson was not. He was a quiet, good guy that everyone liked and respected. I mean, they're kind of apples and oranges. And I'm not going to bang on Louie going out the door. But if you're asking the question, why wouldn't the Bruins 
just re-sign Louie and bring in Bacchus. I mean, that's your answer because they valued what Bacchus brings to the table more than Erickson. And Vancouver obviously valued what Erickson is, and we'll see what happens. But I think it's possible both teams, you know, improved by adding those those players to the lineup rather than it having to be a zero-sum game. And as for Krejci and Bergeron and Spooner, I mean, Sweeney said he, Bacchus is going to have an opportunity to play with them, and we're going to see how it goes. At the same time, you know, maybe Bacchus's presence on the team means that someone else might get traded. Uh, we don't know. It would be silly for Sweeney not to explore those options because we know they've got a gaping hole the size of the Battlestar Galactica <laughs> on the defense, right? So you got to give to get. So someone's going to probably go. Um, but if you don't go and sign Bacchus on day one and you lose Erickson, who else are you going to bring in? Like, like who? Okay, so so guys, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. If the Bruins didn't sign Bacchus on day one and they lost Erickson, who's replacing Erickson's production for them this year? Ooh. Who did the, Who should they have then signed? How much? Go. Now I will. I will admit you, you threw you threw a curveball at me because I, I just wanted Erickson back so bad. So, um, guy, I again, and I, and and it, it does not have to be. That oh you know you, you you dump on a guy on his way out I totally get I the Bruins were trying to resign him right we know this but it was a how far were they willing to go and if we want to criticize them for not going far enough on Erickson and going too far on Bacchus that's a fair criticism I'm totally down with it okay I can totally see it but if we're gonna say um, if we're going to say, well, we don't, I don't understand the whole Bacchus thing, then I'm going to push back and I'm going to say, well, how can you not? Because the Bruins just lost a, a, a top six right wing, and they lost all that production and those and those and the and the advanced stats that go with. And yeah, Erickson's got a little better on the statistical ledger, but Erickson doesn't have those extra things that the Bruins value in terms of being tough to play against. And that leadership that they're that they're that, you know that they are looking to infuse into the lineup. And again, if you don't like that, you don't think that's valuable. Well, then you know we're going to disagree because I I do think it's valuable. The reasonable debate is how much extra do you pay for it. But I can totally see why they why they went in the direction of Bacchus because he makes them tougher to play against, and that's been something they've been lacking over the past several seasons. They kind of roll over. That that final game against Ottawa was was an atrocity. You know, they essentially rolled over in their home building when they had a one nothing lead and did nothing. And I have to think that if David Backus had been on that team, at the very least, he'd have been running around punching Ottawa Senators in the back of the head, um, even if they lost that game. And he would have sent the message that they were going to pay for every bit of real estate. And that that's not a bad thing. Um, you gotta You got to improve the team where you can. But I do understand the consternation about his age and the, and what that – production is going to look like on year four and five. I mean, that those are all valid points. I thought with the back assigning, it wasn't the direction I thought they were going to go. I did think Louie was gone. Personally, I thought they were going to take a, a larger flyer at Jason Demers and then possibly look at a guy like P.A. Parenteau uh. on the open market. Anthony, P.A. To... Parenteau is just another guy. You got, you can, you, he's not, I mean, I, again, I don't see any. There's that guy that's playing on the margins, um, and and Demers didn't want to come to Boston, as was pointed out to me by Jimmy Murphy, and and I believe him. 
for him to take a 4.5 million deal for Florida, it sounds to me like that's where he wanted to go. They don't have an income tax, state income tax. Massachusetts does. Bruins weren't getting Jason Demers for $4.5 million. They would have had to spend more. And it sounds to me like, and based on what, what Murph was telling me today when I said they left him on the table, they tried and uh, Demers and his folks were basically like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. What are you going to pay me? Yeah, no. Uh, I think I'll go down to, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, see ya. So, I mean, again, I get it. I, I'm with you. I thought Demers would have made perfect sense, but it takes two to tango. And just because the Boston Bruins show up on your doorstep, they're not the center of the universe. And as for Parento, dude, I, I've been watching Parento for years. He's just another guy. Um, he's nowhere near. I don't think he would come anywhere near being able to to replace what they lost from, from Erickson. He'd be another mediocre uh, jack of all trades type, and I, yeah, he'd cost less money, but uh, I don't think he's going to win you many games. I think that offense takes a step back uh, with PA Parento in it if he's the guy you're slotting in. But that's just me. We'll just—I guess—we'll have to disagree or agree to disagree. I have a little higher look on Parento, but I agree we can disagree on that one. Uh, one of the issues I have with the back signing is just. The how much cap it's taking because you know you have Marsh coming up that needs to be uh, uh, signed to a, a big deal coming up and there's just how, how much room can you uh, how, how many players do you have uh, that you could fit underneath the cap Foster, uh, Knock, and Spooner are up in a year too yes <laughs> yeah well I think Spooner uh, there's very good I mean again I'm not advocating for Spooner to go I have not I, I really think Spooner's been great and he's uh, um He's really come a long way. And you talk about a guy that doesn't get enough credit for how hard he works. Uh, you know, his personality is such that people just think he's just kind of there. And, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth. He's very driven, works hard in the offseason. I mean, if you look at that, that article I wrote on my blog about him with Pat Malloy, who's his, uh, his uh, offseason trainer and, and, and coach, boy, I mean, that's a kid that's really worked hard. But, um, I don't, I don't see the Bruins with Bacchus now on board. You know, they've gone in that, they, they've done what Cam Neely said they were going to do, and that's get heavier and tougher to play against. So I would be surprised if there's a long-term investment in Spooner. He's one of your, your trade chips right now. Maybe it's Krejci. Um, the problem with, with dealing Krejci is twofold. One, he doesn't have much value. I mean, what team is going to be willing to take him on with the, with the questions about the hip, you know, coming mm -hmm. off the hip surgery and his big cap hit? Uh, I just can't imagine a team that would be like, oh yeah, you know, we'll take we'll take a you know David Krejci who's not even back from hip surgery. Uh, yeah, we'll take him, no problem. I, I don't see that. I think if you're going to make a deal, it's probably going to be yeah. Spooner. Um, but I just don't see them re-upping Spooner. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think he's probably gone for some kind of help shoring up the the roster elsewhere. And I hate to say that, and again, I'm not you know I. I I think he makes perfect sense on this team. Would you wish you could keep him? But he just, when you look at his cap hit right now, and the fact that he's going to be a cost control uh, on his on his third contract, um, you know, he's not going to break the bank for whatever team picks him up. I think he's going to be he's going to be a um, a what's the word I'm looking for? An attractive. He's going to be an yeah. attractive uh, uh, chip to, that the Bruins can offer up. I know hockey Twitter just assumes you can uh, trade David Krejci for a defenseman. They're like, oh, yeah, done deal. Let's make it happen. Well, you mentioned his cap hit and his uh, injury history. He also has a no-movement clause. 
Right. So I, I, I look at Krejci, and whether you like him or hate him or think you need, we need this or that, I think uh, he's staying in Boston for quite some time. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree, but I just worry. You know, I just worry that that he can hold up. I mean, that's yeah. the he's he just turned thirty this year, um, and you know he's now had a hip surgery on the other hip, and so it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see if he can bounce back. But you know, he's just such a light framed, slight guy. He always has been, and uh, um. He's got a lot of mileage on that engine, so it'll uh, uh, it's it, it's risky now. It's, when you look at that seven point two five million and how much longer he's in the fold for, um, going to be really hard to move that. And like you said, I didn't talk before about the no movement, but yeah, he would in, in, even if even if the Bruins found a taker, they'd have to get his buy-in. Which you know these guys are competitors. A lot of a lot of times their their attitude is, well, if you don't want me, I'll go where I'm wanted. Um, but you know, it's one thing if that, that place that wants you is St. Louis and they're contending for a championship or that place that wants you is, you know, some other team and they're not, and that's, (laughs) that's the fine line that the GMs have to walk unfortunately with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, kind of continuing on with guys that the uh, Bruins have added, um, one guy I was kind of really shocked to see that they added was, um, Anton Hudobin's coming back on the two year deal. And I was curious to see what you thought that meant for the prospects, Zuban mainly. Um, my yeah. initial reaction was that Zuban maybe um, traded, and then it gives McIntyre a couple years to get ready to be a backup, and then they call him up. Um, kind of wondering what your thoughts are. I'm thinking bigger than that. I'm thinking expansion draft. If you bring in Hudobin, you can protect Zuban. If you don't, then Subban's probably the guy you have to expose. And and look, the problem with 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 Malcolm is that he got injured in in January and missed the rest of the season. I think if he had kept playing the way he was playing, they probably go with him as the backup this year. Or at least he would be given a a strong opportunity, and he still will be. But what we don't we we have yet to really see him perform in a consistent manner as an AHL starter. And so uh, he was playing. You know, he started off the year very poorly. Um, that was due to a lower body, you know, groin injury, um, play, you know, by December, January, he really picked up his game and he was playing the best hockey of his pro career. And then he takes the shot in the throat and he's gone. He didn't play another game the rest of the season. That's huge. I mean, the Bruins can't afford to roll the dice and I don't think they're looking to trade him because I mean, what are you going to get for him? I mean, it's, it's theoretical as part of a, a package. Um, but I'm thinking that, that the Hudobin, thing gives them the ability to uh, hedge their bets uh protect Subban if he has a if he comes back and is able to have a really strong uh AHL season assuming you know right as things stand right now it'll be Rask and Hudobin as your one and two Subban will be back in Providence and if Subban plays really really well um and depending on of course of what Hudobin looks like the Bruins could potentially expose Hudobin and then that allows them to protect Subban um I don't really understand that reasoning, Kirk. Um, Bruin, you can only protect one goalie, and um, I thought uh, well, we're obliga- Bruins are obligated to protect Rask because of his N- NMC. I'm not really clear right. on how Hudobin makes it makes Malcolm protectable. Because if if Subban were the guy with them, then they'd have to they'd have to 
expose him. Like if 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 Subban if they hadn't brought in Hudobin, they'd have to then um, expose Subban because he'd be on their roster. Makes sense. I think I think AHL guys with as many pro years as he is are still eligible anyway, though. Are still um according, not according to Dom Tiano. He kind of laid it out and said, "Okay, said that there, there's a very specific reason." So, it made sense to me the way it was explained. Um, Bruins would have to expose someone; they mm-hmm. can't not expose someone, right? There's nobody with pro experience other than Subban and McIntyre. Um, so, if Subban was on the roster, dude, they got to expose him. So, uh, with Hodobin now on there, they can expose him instead, protect Rask, and then Subban is exempt. Okay, that's. That was different than my understanding. That's actually great to hear. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it was also my understanding that um, AHL players could be plucked. Uh, yeah. But if that's not the case, then this is uh, – well, this move makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, that's my understanding. You know, it's, I'll be honest with you guys. It's so – there's the, – the, the situation, the information's fluid. At some point, it'll be explained. Um, but I, I, I know this. If, if – if the Bruins are counting on Malcolm Subban to be there to be Rask's backup, they're taking on an inordinate amount of risk, given that Subban's only NHL experience was a was a hot burning disaster of love. Ooh, um, yeah. <laughs> and and you just teams don't do that. And then again, I try to explain. Like I had people telling me that they thought Zane McIntyre would be Rask's backup last year. You know, this was last summer, and I'm like, you know. I guess in a perfect world, he'd have to be super awesome, but teams just don't take risks like that typically because if you have no depth, if, you're, if your lead sled dog goes down and all of a sudden now you're trusting your season to a guy that's never played, you're taking huge matters into your own hands. Now, as it turned out, McIntyre wasn't ready, and it was obvious, and this is why we don't rush goaltend- unproven goaltenders to the NHL. You know, there's – I don't get, and I know a lot of it's just shiny new toy stuff. People are excited and, you know, they want to see the Zane McIntyres and they want to see the Malcolm Subans up in the NHL. Uh, but with goalies, it's just, it's a different animal. You don't see the Tom Barrasso's coming in at 18 anymore and, and standing on their head and, and, and becoming stars right away. Uh, I, I, I will always say that there is a lot to be said about just letting guys develop and get as much playing time in the minors as they can. And then when they're ready, they're ready. Uh, and that's why, unfortunately, for Subban last year, he was looked like he was just when he was turning the corner. And if he could have had a strong second half in the AHL, then maybe you can have that conversation this year that it's worth putting him in there. Um, but he didn't. So I think it would have been absurd to think that the Bruins would have just said, "Okay, well let's let's start the season with Malcolm Subban," even though you know he's got a grand total of what was it, 30 minutes of NHL time and and some of the most horrific stats you oh. could have in that small sample size yeah, it was against the blues he got lit up yeah. poor guy yeah he was, he was shaky in the first period but he you know he he held in there like he got you know they they hardly had any shots as i recall i think it was like i think they had four shots on him but he looked real shaky and then the floodgates just opened in the second period and they just annihilated him it was it was really something but uh i like suban i think that the whole hudobin thing a gives them that veteran that they can lean on uh, that Claude will trust. That's a big thing, right? We've seen um, with Svedberg uh, two years ago where he just didn't trust Svedberg and they just kept rolling Rask out, rolling Rask out, and he kind of got worn down and tired at the end. Um, so I think Claude will trust Hudobin, but I think the larger play is 
Hudobin allows them to uh, um, protect Suban and uh, not have to expose him, and then that gives them their flexibility. Or I could be completely wrong, and they trade Malcolm anyway, um, you know, the, for something this season. But I would submit to you, Malcolm doesn't have any real trade value right now. Okay. Um, I guess just as a general comment, I think a reason a lot of people assumed that he was going to be backup next year is that we're pretty sure he's uh, waiver eligible in the fall as a fourth-year pro. Not that he's a real risk of being picked up, but that's a gamble as well, right? Yeah, sure is. Um, I think you can take that with the goalies, though, because most teams, you know, the goalie position's different. You don't. It's not like a like a Landon Ferraro where you can pluck him and stash him on your fourth line. Most teams are pretty well established, and because he has no body of work, that's a risk that the Bruins are probably willing to willing to take more than um, more than not. Actually, okay. I, I was thinking back, like, what was the, who was the last goalie to get drafted and then immediately see NHL playing time? And I think the, the last goalie I could come up with was Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, his stats weren't all that great as his uh, his. First pro year. Yeah, first overall pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think before that it was Jocelyn Tebow, maybe. Yeah. Played it. Played at age eighteen for the uh, Quebec Nordiques. They had drafted him uh, in the first round of the '93 draft, and he he made their team '93-'94 uh, season. Um, it's pretty rare, and again, teams nowadays it's just shooters have gotten so much better and. Uh, just they just don't do it anymore. I, I believe we'll see one at some point. It'll, it'll happen uh, at some point. I, I wouldn't rule it out, but it's just such a rarity. You, you just, I, I just, it uh, as a former goaltender myself, I just believe in the power of developing your players and not rushing them. I just this this shiny new toy syndrome just drives me nuts. You know, you've got the the crowd that's clamoring to throw Brandon Carlo out there, and it's like, hey, if he earns it, great, but you know. <laughs> If he goes out there and he's not ready to go, and that's up to the coaches to determine whether he is or not. And and yeah, he's looked good in some limited limited uh, viewings in the preseason, and he looked fine in in Providence. Um, but if he's not ready to go, you could really set his development back if his confidence gets crushed. And I know these guys aren't shrinking violets, and you know you want them to be mentally tough and all, but you know you, the, their time will come. There's no need to force people into the lineup if they earn their way up. Great. Um, but you wouldn't believe how many just just constant barrage I get about Carlo. I think he's he's probably the one guy that probably has the best chance of making the team and doing something this year because he's a late '96 can play in Providence and he's so big and he is pretty you know pretty refined defensive game. Um, but I don't think we need to like it shouldn't be expected. And um, I think if anyone's thinking that he's going to come in and stabilize this defense, then then that's a that's a pretty risky proposition altogether yeah I, I thought they would give uh uh colin miller some more time to develop this year if you're kind of going with young guys stick with a guy who's at least got some nhl experience already yeah. uh, on the team no, i agree i think i think he's gonna be given every opportunity to have that like what people wanted to see last year they'll get it this year that's good and if he doesn't make it then that'll be on him but i think i think the, the general feeling amongst, you know, talking to the Bruins this offseason is, hey, this is, the world is Colin Miller, Miller's oyster. He needs to go, needs to go get it, so. 
Well, I, they, I, I feel like they actually bought out Seidenberg almost for that reason. Um, not so much for the cap relief, just for the, the fact that is, you know, it opens up a spot on the uh, the top six for um, on, on defense. Different hands, though, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Collins a righty and uh, sides is a left. So <laughs> I've never understood why uh, coaches are so dead set on that left-right uh, uh, pairing. I don't think they are. I think oh. that's a fan thing. I mean, in some, in, in, in some cases, I mean, Claude Julien certainly likes to do it, but I think, you know, there are certain players that can can handle it. The problem is because Colin Miller is in, relatively inexperienced, you don't want to. Gotcha. You don't want to be experimenting and having him try to learn how to play defense and then he's on his, you know, he's on his backhand side. So you set the conditions for success better by playing him on the right side. You know, and then then maybe as he proves himself, gains confidence, and the coaches, you know, get get more confident in him. You have the ability to maybe move him around if need be, and he can and he can handle it. But I mean, there's there there are players, there are defensemen around the NHL that that play that offside, um, that off D side just fine. It's just it's just a oftentimes a better fit. And I know that that the kind of boutique trend across the NHL with coaches these days is to try to to put that left right you know, pairing into place because it's just a little more natural and it allows it allows those players to have a higher percentage execution of that play when the puck's on the right side of their, their stick. Um, but I don't think it's, it's not, it's not a requirement, but it's certainly, you know, when you look at it, Miller's relative inexperience, it, it makes sense that they would want to at least have him on the right side as much as they can until he can, Kind of develop more confidence and and composure and uh, and effectiveness and, and execution at the NHL level. I'm actually going to kind of backtrack a bit. Um, I am starting to kind of catch Jimmy VC uh, fever a little bit, <laughs> and I know he you know he's a uh, he's with Buffalo until uh, August 15th, but I wonder if you know. Uh, a player like that coming out of college, um, basically at this point, I know he was drafted, but he almost comes in undrafted. He can sign with anyone. Does he look at the Bruins and see, does he look at uh, Krug and uh, Vetrano and see that the Bruins can develop good, almost undrafted uh, college talent? And does that kind of give Boston an upper hand at all? Yeah, I think Boston's had the upper hand all along. Um, now, look, I know there's talk out there. I'm not going to comment on the rumors about Hayes and this and that and the other thing. Um, but he's a Boston kid, and I think, you know, they've always had a better-than-average chance of landing him. Now, when the rubber meets the road and it comes time to make those proposals, you know, we're all assuming that the Bruins are going to go all out to get him. Mm-hmm. That may or may not be a valid assumption. That's the assumption. Um, if they go all out to get him and say, hey, look, Jimmy, we see you as an important you know, part of this team and we want to add you and here's what we're going to do and here's where we're going, it's very enticing for him uh, to, to, to play, to sign, because he you know, grew up a Bruins fan, his family's here. Um, a lot of people don't talk about this, but he and, he's very close to his mother, Amy. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I think I think she's kind of a the X uh, you know an X factor that doesn't get mentioned enough. Um, you know, just he's very close with his pa- parents and family, and so I think you know you're not going to see him go cross country. Uh, I think the Rangers are certainly going to be in the mix for him. Maybe the Devils, uh, although with some of the upgrades they've had at forward, you know, probably not the Devils. When you look at some of the ads they've had and some of the young kids they have coming up, Buffalo obviously traded for him. Uh, but I think the the Bruins are in a good spot, and you know a guy like Bacchus coming in, you know that's going to be kind of enticing. If you're not going to give him a top spot, like if because you look at your you look at your left wingers, right? So who are, who are the Bruins' top left wingers on the depth chart right now? You got Brad Marchand and Mapuleski, and then from there you drop to Frank Vitrano. Yeah. Vitrano, right? So it could be Vitrano or Bolesky. So if you if you tell if you tell Jimmy, hey, you're going to get every opportunity to beat out Vitrano to play on that second line and Bolesky, but if you don't, uh, you might your centerman might be David Backus. That's a pretty fair consolation prize. Uh. Yeah. So now he's like, oh, yeah. You see what I mean? So, look, I can't tell you how this is going to go. One of the things I mentioned is I'm not pumping the VZ information for, or family for information, and I'm not going to. That's good. Uh, yeah. If they want to give me something and, 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 and have me break the news down the road, so be it. If they don't, I'm certainly not. I don't care one way or another. I, uh, I've known Jimmy for years. I think he's a heck of a player. Um, but I think people t- you know, also need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit uh, and, and temper expectations. He may or may not be a guy that comes right in and 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 starts making things happen right away, or he might be everything that we we hope he is. Um, but he's worked hard. He's spent almost you know well four years just about uh, to to exercise the opportunity to be a free agent. And so I think. Um, it's pretty much a done deal and doesn't make any sense for him to sign with Buffalo now. Just wait out the whatever 42 days or whatever we have left before he can um, field offers and then he gets to choose his own destination and, and good for him. He, he, he spent four years, he, he's got a Harvard degree and he gets to pick where he gets the, you know where he want, wants to play. If the NHL owners don't like it, then they need to revise the CBA so that players can't do that. And uh, I got no problem with it and if he doesn't sign with Boston, uh, oh well, um, it'll, all, it'll all probably come out in the wash anyway. But uh, I like their chances, and I just point you back to the the Frederick thing earlier. Um, you know, if you're if you're if you're wanting to upgrade your skill level, you don't take Frederick at 29. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you're thinking, yeah, we got to get tougher to play against, and we need to be a more versatile t- um, team with a little more size up the middle. And we think we are going to get VZ. Then VZ's your skill guy. He's your free chicken, and uh, Tr- Frederick's the guy that's more of a need a need uh, pick, if not a BPA at that at that selection. And then then the whole Trent Frederick thing at twenty nine starts to make a lot of sense when you get down to it. Your um, analogies and pop culture references have just been on point today. As the kids say, they've been on fleek. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So I have no I, idea what that means. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, but I've got a fourteen-year-old, so maybe if I pay attention to what she's saying, maybe I'll hear that again. Yeah, unfleet. I, I don't actually know if they if kids say that anymore. I think it was like popular for about a week, two weeks. Um, I see it on Twitter, and I have no idea what it means. I think it's become one of that the the Twitter universe lingo. Like it was it was genuinely cool for a week, and now it's now we got a hold of it and we ruined it. <laughs> 
I wrote it. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I mean, like, if you guys had to give a grade to like the what what you're most impressed what you're most impressed with in terms of what teams have done in the off season, who are you who are you highlighting right now as guy as teams you think are really trending upward? Uh, I'll go first since I've been yappy today. Florida. Up until this afternoon, I don't like that. I don't like that Riley Smith contract. <laughs> but fair, yeah. You know what's interesting about Florida is they've added three defensemen since the season ended, and the Bruins, you know, they've re-signed John Michael Lyles, but really haven't added it. So again, I'm kind of curious. I, I have to think Sweeney's working on something, you know. And, he, and and you heard the rumors of the offer sheet. I don't think the offer sheet's serious in that. It's just there's too much to lose. Uh, if they match the if they match the offer sheet, you get nothing, and now you've made an enemy, and you've opened yourself up to retaliation. I, I just don't see Truba being worth that kind of uh, that, take either. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. But we're, you're assuming that Truba's the guy right now. He's the rumor. Oh, um, but maybe, okay, yeah. If it was Lindholm, I think he might actually be worth that money. Yes, but yes, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but but I mean, but Anaheim's going to match. You know, Anaheim would probably you know do everything they had to to match. Um, but, but I think that the the offer sheet thing is a could be a you know a ploy to get people to the negotiating table and to to be serious about making a trade. Because one thing Don Sweeney has said over and over again, and if you if you pay attention to the words, um, he's talked about how teams don't want to trade those kinds of players, and so I think it's a very good chance that the offer sheet was all this giant ploy uh, to get a team to listen to him and to, to, to entertain his pitch. And maybe he's successful, maybe he's not. Um, but I've got to think that uh, Chris Russell is not, you know, oh my gosh, if, if, if Chris no. Russell is the guy. Please no. I know. That, that's a curse word in this podcast. <laughs> but, but, I mean, if, if, yeah. that's where, if that's where they end up, I mean, this team's got big problems. And then, and then it's, just, it's just very difficult to, to see any kind of vision. Uh, I think Sweeney's got a got a player in mind to be that bridge. I don't, I don't. Again, I don't think we're going to find Zdeno Chara's heir apparent uh, unless they're lucky. And they, you know, I mean, Hampus Lindholm maybe would would be that guy. I just don't think there's an abundance. Teams aren't going to give away, uh, you know, a player that they think is going to be Zdeno Chara's heir apparent. And and to be honest, the Bruins are very lucky they even have Chara. Because Ottawa guessed wrong and they went with Redden instead of Chara, you know, back in the day. I mean, you just don't see the Zidane Chara's hitting the open market anymore. Teams are smart enough to identify those guys and lock them up before they ever get to free agency in their late 20s. And so the Bruins have a problem in that they haven't drafted well enough or the guys they have drafted, they've traded away for whatever reason. And so now they're, they're kind of back where they were in the early 2000s when Ray Bork was gone. And they're chasing, you know, they're chasing, desperately trying to find that top guy. And maybe they drafted one. You know, I'd like to think Charlie McAvoy has potential. Um, like, realistically, he's probably a two, um, you know, a two plus maybe. Uh, but it, it ain't easy. And so I can, I, I'm willing to extend Sweeney a little more patience to see what he's got. But if I... You know, like I said, if we get to late August, September time frame and we're still sitting here with this roster or we added like Chris Russell, I mean, I would be at this stage, I would be OK with the James Wisniewski on a one year, 
you know, very low bargain basement deal because at least he shoots right. I mean, he would be a risk, but you're not sinking the money that you would have to on a Chris Russell. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be ideal, but you can argue that he sort of upgraded the defense enough, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe that opens the door to to do a deal later on um, during the season. But I, I, I'm with you guys. It's it's kind of hard to to see that vision, and I don't have all the answers, but. I can I'm I can I can certainly see the benefits with Bacchus and I'm willing to to wait and see and and see what what happens there but the but the defense they've got to they've got to do something here soon or else um, the natives are really going to get restless. I will say this. I was not a fan of the Bacchus signing but seeing what other options the Bruins had on on right wing it's like well we did what we had to do. So I've, I'm breathing a little bit easier today. I'm, I'm happier with it than what it would have taken to sign Ocposo, I think. Yeah. Um, former Zavaris wingers scare, scare me a lot. Just look at Matt Molson. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And again, I just go back to the versatility. Um, you know, there are wingers, there, there are centers who can, who can go to the wing and be effective. There aren't too many wingers that can go to center and just have it all figured out, you know what I mean? So there is a, I think those centers, those natural centers like Abacus are more, are more valuable. Um, and then you just take his leadership and I didn't go into, I didn't go into it, but I've said it elsewhere. You know, he's an in your face, direct hands on. And again, I don't, I said something earlier about the Bruins lack leadership. I'm not disrespecting Patrice Bergeron or Zidane Ochara in any way. They're very good leaders, but they're follow me do the right thing, boys, be adults, and I'm going to give you the right example to follow, guys. They're not Mark Messier, grab you by the throat, throw you against the wall, guys. And I think sometimes teams need those. And maybe Sean Thornton was that guy. Mark Recchi certainly was that guy, to the surprise of some, but he was behind the scenes. And the Bruins have lacked that, that, that in-your-face, hey, get on board and fix yourself or I'll fix you um, kind of thing. And that goes a long way. And you know, Bacchus is big. He's 6'3", 225 pounds, whatever he is. He can do that kind of stuff. And most <laughs> most guys will, will respond to that. So uh, I think that's valuable. Again, people can disagree about how much, how valuable it is. But ultimately, um, I, I think it, it, may, it, it made sense. And when you heard the Bruins, they kept talking about how Frederick compared to a Bacchus. In hindsight, it's not surprising that they went, you know, went so hard after him. Ideally, you wish it had been maybe a little, little, you know, shave off a year and shave off a mill, and then people are probably a lot happier about it. But uh, and he's a Bruin, and so we can we can complain about it and be unhappy and worry about what might happen, or we can just kind of get on board with it and see where it leads. I guess you know, our, those are the options. So it's up to it's is America, and we're celebrating our Independence Day tomorrow. So just decide what you want to do, I guess, and it's a free country. Well, playing off the uh, leadership, do you think they give Bacchus um, an A then, first season in? No, not necessarily, because they have their their A's are pretty well established already. You know, it's Krejci and Bergeron. I mean, they could they could do a rotating A, I suppose. But I'm a big believer in you don't you don't have to have a letter on your jersey to be a to be a leader. Yeah, and Aginla came here fairly yep. 
off, you know, fresh being the captain of the uh, the Flames, and yeah, he, I don't think he wore uh, anything all, all season. Don't consider to be a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders will just lead, and players will player. A guy like Back has come in, and he has instant credibility because of who he is, and so no one's gonna no one's gonna question him. As a matter of fact, they're stupid if they're not listening to what he has to say and, and learning what they can, because he's been a pretty successful uh, pretty successful pro and pretty good at what he does. Yeah, a guy, my uh, my rec league team, he's a huge Blues fan, and he texts me right away saying, "Well, uh, not so politely telling me I'll I'll love I'll love the pick, and that we yeah. uh, we stole him from from St. Yeah. Louis." Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I'm being told very good sources that uh, St. Louis really like they wanted Backus and Brower back very very badly, and uh, it was just like the Bruins two years ago when they ve- wanted Aginla back very much, and it just couldn't pull it off. Didn't have the didn't have the salary cap uh, room wiggle room to to offer. They were hoping that uh, Bacchus would take the hometown discount, but you know it's hard. These guys they you know they they recognize and they have agents in their ear that are telling them, hey, look, you know you're not going to get another big payday, so um, you know you have an opportunity to take care of your family. That's a tough that's a tough thing to pass up, and I think it's the rare guy who will take substantially less term and value. Uh, to stay in a situation uh, versus the one that you know when when a team comes calling and is willing to give it to them, um, you know they take it. It's human nature, and and uh, you know it's kind of interesting to be on that other side. You know, two years ago, looking at Aginla going to Colorado, I was kind of like, ah, you know, why didn't the Bruins find a way to keep him? And I'm sure Blues are saying the same thing about Bacchus, but they'll move on. And who did they get? Blues signed someone. Um, Perrin. Perrin, yeah, Perron, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, he's no David Backus, but they were able to they were able to get somebody back. They drafted him, so they know that guy. So yeah, yeah, yeah they sure did. 2007 draft, as I recall, late, late. Uh, he was one of the guys that was had something in common with Bergeron in that he went from AAA hockey midget AAA to QMJHL to NHL in a span of three years. Wow, it's very rare, but that's what Bergeron did too. And Peron did as well. Well, guys, how are we doing? We about uh, ready to wrap? I think so. Any, any final questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? I've got, I've got one last question regarding the draft. Is there anyone that we didn't bring up, similar to our last conversations with you, um, similar to Jesse Gabriel? No. No. I think so, what Anthony means is there, anyone, is there anyone that we didn't talk about that you think we should have, is what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, look, Kopanen and Steen, they're 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 C players for me. Um, I can understand. I, I I will respect Steen's energy and his versatility and the fact that PJ Axelson really likes him. So PJ might be onto something, but he didn't do much for me. Uh, Kopanen's just your big shutdown, clampdown guy. Um, you know, at best he'll probably play on your fourth line, and yeah, he he he's got. I don't think it's fair to compare him to Eunice Kampainen, um, but there's there's very little f- uh, frills and bells and whistles with him. I mean, if, if he makes it and he's a long shot, he's he's going to be pretty much a up and down the up and down the middle of the ice. Uh, you know, good good on faceoffs, defensive minded center, but he's not going to do anything you know special. And Steen, I, I just he's five nine. If you were going to take a five nine guy, I wish they'd have grabbed uh, DeBrinket or Mascarin or uh, 
Vitaly Abramov. You know, if we're gonna take a five nine guy, take one of them. Don't 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 grab, you know, random random guy in the sixth round. But some people really like Steen, so I'll take my uh, I'll take my crow um, brazed if uh, if Steen ends up being a, a PJ Axelson kind of guy down the road and becomes a, a fan favorite in Boston. How about that? It's the sixth round anyway, right? No, exactly. I, you know, again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not banging on the pick. It just, uh, it just did nothing for me. I saw Steen at, at Grand Forks, and you know, he, he shows ability in flashes. He's more of a quick strike kind of guy. Definitely moves his feet, um, but I don't see any kind of special kind of dynamic standout skill from him that leads me to believe that, you know, he's anyone that that we should get excited about. And you know, if he makes it, more power to him. But. Uh, um, I, I had I had all day for the three defensemen they took. I thought those guys were all really good picks and and, and solid value, you know, um, with with potential on all three to be, um, you know, guys that down the road are going to be a part of a you know potential solution in Boston. And so I thought that made their draft, and that's why I gave them a B plus. Um, the forwards were were nothing to write home about, but uh, uh, there was nothing that just you know, struck me as terrible, even even with the controversy surrounding Frederick. Hmm. No Canadians. I think that's the weirdest thing about it all. Yeah, you know, they kind of go in cycles. They <laughs> kind of go in cycles, and uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that two-year signing rule on the CHL guys is just something that, you know, the Bruins have so many prospects floating around in their system, they got to kind of stagger it out so that they're not all uh, trying to slot in at the same time. And uh, it's kind of a balancing act, but they have a lot of prospects. I think they can trim the fat and trade a couple of these guys. And I think we will see some trades where a couple of these, you know, these prospects they have floating around are going to get moved. Um, the, the question is, can Don Sweeney get value for them? And can he find any takers that, you know, in, in meaningful deals? And that's, that's always the hard part because we tend to value our prospects higher than the teams around the league do. Of course. Well, Speak now, or forever hold your uh, your peace. Oh, cool! Well, guys, thank you for having me on. It was uh, it was a pleasure, and again, I appreciate your your thoughtfulness. And uh, yeah, I know I know I don't have the most popular view on David Backus right now, but as an Army guy, I just think he's a warrior, and he's the kind of guy that 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 will help instill a winning culture in that room. And he's not going to go down with a without a fight. And as I was watching the Bruins implode uh, in each of the last two seasons. Uh, what struck me was the, they kind of just rolled over. Um, you know, key situations, just not not finding a way to win, and that tells me that your leadership in the room ain't getting it done. So why not try to, to try to give the team a you know a boot in the butt and see where it goes? But uh, I understand the consternation, and and uh, not everyone's going to agree, and that's what makes uh, the world a unique place. So um, we'll see how it goes and see how Backus does in Boston. Let's hope it's a uh, Let's hope it's a success, and uh, and that in a couple of years we're not all sitting there going, "Man, we have another albatross contract and and uh, no flexibility and you know new management and all that," because that'll mean that uh, everything went south in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, thank you again, um, listeners. I strongly suggest you check out uh, Kirk's website, and you're welcome to plug that right now. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm at scoutingpost.com. That's my blog, and it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But if you're a Bruins fan, it's Boston, mostly Boston-centric stuff. So apologize to the uh, other 29 teams fans out there. Um, but if you're a Bruins type, you probably have some time for that. All right. Well, thank you. 
Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you, Kirk. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Canada Day to Jeff up there. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Happy belated Canada Day, I should say. See, I'm not going to forget it this time. There we go. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Cheers. All right. Well, that does it. That's uh, another episode of Barely on Topic. Please check us out on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Give us a nice, beautiful, huge thumbs up and rating on there. We're on Twitter. Very, very active on Twitter. So uh, contact us there. Like us on Facebook. Check out Bobby2Bergy.com. That's where we like to hang out and chat a bit. And uh, there's only one way to end it, though. Word! <laughs> <laughs>